load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate about the weights And make a podcast! Sumo is cheating! This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Welcome to episode 88 of Weekly Weights. I'm Alex Hayes, with me is Will, and joining us via Zoom is Joey Linguini. I mean, Joey Zucchini. I mean, Joey Zingini, is that right? Is it Zingini? Joey Lamborghini. Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> Even All right, placing that wealth. Let's go. How are you, man? Oh my God, and that bicep. Man, it's not a video <laughs> podcast, and that might actually be for the oh, best, man. because unless you got like a full widescreen HDTV, I don't think we could have actually got that whole bicep on screen. <laughs> uh, like I got pants on <laughs> Mate, Joey Thank you so much for joining us Now, for those of us Those of us Those of our listeners Who don't know who you are Can you just give us a rundown About who you are the competitor Who you are the coach What you're doing business-wise And what qualifications you have uh, The competitor side of things I get to talk about Palatin uh, I've been doing Palatin for about Eight years now. It's a long time in powerlifting, as you guys know how long you guys have been in the sport. Uh, I've competed at the Worlds at Worlds in Belarus in 2017. That was epic. That was so fun. Um, when PA was with RPF back then. I originally started as a bodybuilder, so I come over from that bodybuilder side of things into powerlifting. Uh, come from rugby league. Uh, I am actually a uni dropout, so I got into uni into dietetics and I dropped out of uni a while ago, so I never went back. Yeah. Um, uh, And at the moment, I'm just uh, enjoying training. I'm not really powerlifting focused. I'm still strength focused and muscle building focused. I'm playing some Oztag as well, so that's that's awesome. I haven't played that in about seven years. Uh, So that's where I am at the moment with things. Cool. And as far as coaching goes... So you are a powerlifting coach, but you're also known as somebody who helps people handle their nutrition. Do you work with just powerlifters, bodybuilders, general population? Who? Yeah, so I work heavily with powerlifters as well, but at the same time, uh, coming from that bodybuilding background, I work with a lot of people who just simply want to improve their, their body composition, build muscle, drop body fat for whatever reason, whatever the goals are. Uh, and just. Oh, I was going to say, so you, you had actually enrolled to study dietetics. So this has obviously yes. been some type of a long-standing interest for you to do nutrition coaching. What sparked it? The, the bodybuilding day. So I remember in high school, uh, just the local gym, uh, the first thing that I guess sparked it was the interest in, in uh, improving food uh, quality to better uh, performance in the gym and muscle gain in general. And that was back then when uh, supplements were the, the, the biggest priority and then everything else was secondary. So I was always really keen on, you know, what chemicals can help me improve my physique and my strength. Natty chemicals, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously, as you go through the through the learning process, you realize those supplements mean jack shit. Uh, but I was always just interested in, in uh, what, you know, what foods make me feel good, what foods perform, uh, help me perform best for, for, for whatever sport I was doing, for whatever discipline I was doing. And then I guess, giving that to a lot of my, my clients at the time, a, a, a troll and everything. Damn, there's, there's been some crappy diets that I've stuck to over the years. So it's, it's fun to just put that into practice or not into practice with, uh, with my clients at the moment. It's pretty funny you say like supplements were top of the pile. I have distinct memories of being like 17, 18, 19, and literally spending a couple of hours at a time 
researching like which protein powder I should take depending on like what the ingredients were or like looking at different pre-workouts and trying to figure out like which one's going to be the best and really thinking they were going to give me an edge, you know? Uh, like you, you, you know, you wouldn't hit your protein intake. You'd skip all these, all these, you know, minimum requirements that you're meant to be hitting, but you'd look for casein before bed or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or you'd, 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 high, <laughs> you'd double dose of glutamine because that would give the best gains. <laughs> I remember, um, I remember, <laughs> I remember a, a mate and I used to like look at other people in the gym at fitness first, um, in Mossman back in the day. And we'd be like, Oh, you reckon that guy's on gear? And if the answer was no, it'd always be like, nah, he's on creatine. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like the next thing down from gear. You know what the best thing is? Yeah. So Alex drove me to the gym once at lift performance center. RIP. Um, we went to, <laughs> we went to go train. We went to go train together one time and Alex, this was one of the very rare occasions that Alex has worn a singlet to, a, to the gym because he wears a t-shirt all the time. And I think it was either a Sunday morning or a Monday morning and we got pulled over by a cop for an RBT, right? And the guy leans in the window and says to Alex, you had any drinks today, mate? Um, he goes, not. He goes, you taking any drugs? He goes, not. He goes, what about creatine? You look like you might've been on the creatine. And I just <laughs> lost it. Alex getting trolled at the RBT. Was the best. <laughs> amazing. That, that cop's definitely a bodybuilder. Your microphone's dropping out, man. Can you try again? Oh, can you hear no, me? I can, yeah. I can, yeah. Oh, really? Okay, no, don't worry. That's me. So <laughs> that actually sort of brings us, because we're talking about establishing nutritional priorities, that kind of brings us full circle to what we really want to talk to you about today, which is practical nutrition coaching for powerlifters and strength athletes figuring out where our priorities should be, where we should be investing our energies and how we can go about communicating this information to our clients effectively. So I guess the first, the first cab off the rank questions wise is establishing why body composition generally might be important for powerlifters. So do you want to just start there? Yeah. I mean, it's, it used to be of a thought process that powerlifters are just these big bulky humans who just don't focus on any, uh, anything to do with body composition or nutrition. Or it was just it was just eat as much as they can. Uh, these days, it's really cool to see that it's kind of flipping into uh, people wanting to look the goods and be as strong as possible. And I guess uh, there's so many benefits to having a, a positive or a better body composition. And I guess just to make sure that the the strength progression is uh, is proportionate with the weight increases. So it's not just you know solely fat gain. Or on the other end, it's, it's to make sure that we are maintaining as much strength as possible while we drop uh, weight or essentially body fat. So it is really to, just to make sure that whatever phase we're in, that we are maximizing that muscle retention uh, in that phase. So it's, uh, it's, it's very important. Although, I mean, some body fat can play, uh, can help with leverages. And obviously, uh, Will, that'll be more of your, your area. But you know, fat is zero contracting, but it can definitely aid in um, I, I bet that from the from the smart side of things. <laughs> what, a, what a subtle stab! Yeah, thirty seconds into the podcast, he's calling me fat just because I'm in the highest weight class here. Um, wow, I didn't mean that, but that was good. Um, but yeah, obviously, some some of the body fat can help with some leverages and and uh, and, and you know compression between body parts, for example, you know. The squats, you can the, the bigger you, I guess the legs are, the more bounce you have out of the bottom of the hole, or you know the bigger you are on a bench press, the I guess the less and the bigger the arch, the less uh, less range of motion you have. 
But I'm not, I'm not saying that everyone should go out and get you know, fat and, and that's going to improve your strength 100%. But I'm saying that, you know, the strongest lifters aren't sub 5% body fat. There's got to be some fat on them to, to be as strong as possible. But we should focus on gaining as much muscle as possible. Obviously, the bigger the cross-sectional area of a muscle is going to improve the strength potential. So that should be the main focus. So I think the, the big thing that came out in the first part of that answer before he called me fat was was this idea that was this idea that body composition and our performance goals go hand in hand so you were talking about gaining weight and saying when we're gaining weight an indication of improvements in body composition is going to be that we have proportional or better than proportional even increases in strength and likewise when we're losing weight we want to make sure that we're not losing performance with it we're maintaining muscle and maintaining our performance so um, so what's the, what's the role that diet then plays just conceptually in assisting us in maximizing our performance in the gym? What are, what are some of the things that we really need to focus on? Uh, I guess we talk, if we talk about, uh, the performance side of things, you want to, if you aren't simply aware of the food you're eating, then you can really sacrifice your performances in the gym and your recovery in, to, in, in overall. Uh, I mean, for example, if someone is, uh, they know that, uh, sorry, they don't know that, you know, for me, oats and yogurt in first thing in the morning before I, uh, before I lifted later in the afternoon, for some reason gave me a really good benefit in my training. So whether it be placebo or the carbs intake, by me simply being aware of the, that, that carb intake and that food made me feel better, made me perform better. So if you, if you don't know what you're eating and that comes down to, I guess, the tracking side of things. You need to be aware of the food that you're come that you're eating. I guess we can talk about all the nutrient timing and stuff later on, but simply being aware of the food you're eating is obviously going to improve your performance and recovery and training. Uh, I'm not sure if that answered your question. Well, it's a good start. So what you're saying is, you know, if we're trying to manipulate our diet to improve performance and body composition, the first step is actually having a baseline awareness of what we're eating when we're doing it and being able to use that baseline in our observations to make changes to get us the results we want. Would that be a fair summary of what you just said? Yeah. I mean, like if you're in a, if you're in a, a gaining phase, you, you want to obviously track the parameters of training to make sure that you are increasing strength in proportion with your, with your weight gain, right? If you're in a gaining phase mm. and to do that, obviously you're going to do it through estimated one RMs or AMRAPs or free rep max testing or whatever it is. But you do need to have some sort of quantifiable measure of progression in training to then, uh, you know, synergist, be synergistic with your diet increase in a gaining phase. And the same thing for a, for a cutting phase. The same kind of concept applies. You still want to make sure that you are somewhat at least maintaining your strength in the deficit uh, while cutting weight. And to do that as well, being synergistic with diet, you need to then track your diet as well to make sure that you are eating the optimal amount of calories or protein or carbs or whatever it is to get the best results possible. Sure. So, so we've begun talking about this idea of having awareness and tracking the relevant metrics to try and get the results we want. In terms of diet, what are the key, what are the key nutrients or what are the key things that at the, at the barest glance you would want to be keeping an eye on if you want to improve your performance? I guess then, then we start talking about the minimum requirements of, uh, of what we want to eat. So for example, um, protein, you know, protein, it's, it's, it's shown that you want to have at least about 1.6 grams per kilo. Uh, 
and, and then that can come up to the higher end range if you're cutting. Um, if you're a, a, maybe a, a beginner who's under eating protein, maybe jumping straight to 1.6 may not be the optimal because the total calories might be lower. Uh, so too much protein may offset too many calories for protein. Whereas, you know, carbs as, as a minimum, you probably want about one, one gram per kilo. I think you guys discussed this in a, in a recent podcast. And I, I think, Will, you're pretty big on, uh, on about the four to five grams per kilo carb intake at the higher, at, uh, in a surplus. I, in my experience, uh, in a surplus, it matters more that you get that minimum protein and the amount of calories. And a lot of people have that, if they have that flexibility between carbs and fat, gives them, I guess, less stress placed upon them for people who maybe have unintentionally a stress placed upon them in their lifestyle. Uh, I guess that's the carb intake because obviously there'd be more muscle sparing, especially in a deficit, performance benefits, and then fat, you're around that 0.5 grams per kilo. Uh, but again, that's the minimum requirements. Then you start talking about fluid intake. Uh, I'm a really good, um, I'm really good. I'm a, I'm a really big uh, pusher of just, if you're, you know, if you're urinating clear, you're pretty well hydrated. Um, despite having a multivitamin, that just, that just messes up your, the color of your urine. But, um, uh, you know, fiber intake is a minimum 10 grams per 1000 calories is pretty, pretty standard alcohol. Uh, this is, was Alex's favorite back in the day. Um, I don't think there's, I mean, there's no uh, maximum, uh, a maximum would be probably after a couple of serves and, we know that, that that decreases testosterone production and recovery. Um, but I mean, a couple of beers a day is not bad, right, Alex? Alex likes to... A couple dozen. I was going to say, he likes to back-end all his daily beers to like once every second weekend, just nailing 28. Alcohol, back, alcohol backloading. Exactly. In defense of alcohol, we can't yes. store alcohol as fat. Yes. You know? So and it it's, first... Yeah, it's your first... Yeah. Yeah. First port of call for burning energy. So if you want to fuel yourself as an athlete and ensure that you never get fat, you should just be smashing vodkas pre-training. What do you reckon about that, Joey? And 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 it's I'm pretty sure it's legal in competition. Yeah, it is. Um, I actually think I think Chris Duffin wrote an article about this that I found really interesting because he um, people who don't know Chris Duffin, he's like mad scientist Duffin on Instagram. Um, really interesting Jack. guy. Um, yeah, jacked, strong as fuck. And he was pushing this whiskey and deadlifts brand, which he was putting on clothing for a while. And he was talking about how there was one stage at which alcohol was a banned performance enhancer. Um, and I think he was talking about people in like shooting sports and stuff, taking a nip of whiskey before they performed. Um, because in the same way that like, I think I'm not sure if beta blockers are the correct one, but certain drugs can help you reduce the amount of like twitching and general nervousness and stuff that you have. I think he was saying that whiskey was used for that purpose. Um, yeah. And it's now no longer banned. Yeah. That's yeah. what they do in like archery and the Olympics and stuff like that. Well, they take a little nip yeah, of whiskey. They'll, they'll have a little drink. Yeah, right. Really? It's very, that's like, like their, relaxes you. That's like their, we take, we smash caffeine and they'd smash tequila. Well, if you had enough, <laughs> if, you, if you had enough caffeine, you'd be very jittery. Like I feel like if I did archery oh. at, at the Olympic level, I'd want to be full Rambo style, shirt off, like flask on my hip, you know, and just like smash whiskey, throw the flask to the ground and then shoot an exploding arrow at the target. And <laughs> <laughs> my, heart would, my heart would be the way exploding after three coffees, man. I can't tolerate caffeine well. Really? It's bad. Yeah. yeah. So 
what's the what's the recommended intake? About four to six milligrams per kilo. Yeah, three to six, four to six for, to six for for I'm, performance. Yeah, I'm, I'm about one. <laughs> I, I like I, I'm so I'm a pansy when it comes to caffeine intake. I, I can't you, handle it. Like, like you maybe you just need more. Yeah, more and then build tolerance. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, please don't. We should probably reiterate that, this, that. this is non-serious advice that shouldn't be used by anyone. <laughs> I'm going to use and that. Some people, <laughs> some people get away with... <laughs> what's that? Can we extend that disclaimer to the entire episode? It's a bit like, you know, in <laughs> South Park, at the start of the episodes, they say that the characters aren't meant to resemble anyone and none of this show should be taken seriously by anyone ever. And they put that before That's every right. show. So they don't get sued. And then they get sued anyway. Okay. <laughs> you know? So it's this one. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, see a doctor. If yeah. pain persists. Absolutely. That's not included. <laughs> All right. So, so we started talking about priorities. And you said that basically we have, we'll have some type of a total energy, com- um, total energy requirement. It's going to be comprised of macronutrients. You spoke about how we need at least some minimum level of protein to facilitate muscle growth and recovery. You spoke about how we need some level of carbohydrates to fuel training. How much of that we need is a bit up for debate in powerlifting, but yeah. we need at least some. And then the rest can be comprised of fats or carbohydrates of your choosing, and it's probably not a huge deal which. Then you also said that for health, we should be considering things like fiber and that we also want to make sure that we're hydrated enough to perform. So we've got yeah. we've got all of these, all of these pieces, um, but they all actually in a normal human diet come from food. And so I think like, you know, we think in terms of nutrients oftentimes as like nutrition coaches and dietitians and things, we think about telling people to get enough protein and so on, but that is still guided by food selection. And so one thing you mentioned in your little preamble was like how great you felt when you were having oats and stuff. And when you were having stability in food choice, when you start with coaching people, do you start by educating them on the nutrient content, of the foods that they're eating or do you start by working with the foods that they're currently eating and trying to shape their habits so that those nutrients become sufficient? Yeah. I work with what they currently eat. So I'll just ask them and say, like, what what are you currently eating? Um, And I I guess I try to teach them to break down. What do you know the differences in, in protein comes with that dense meals that you're eating or the foods that you're eating and just try to educate them on what is in what. Uh, And then you go into obviously, okay, well, you know, I don't see any, you know, you're eating greens one every three days, you know, some, some basic alteration in their, in their diet. Uh, for a lot of the people, they, they, I guess I advertise that I do a lot of the macronutrient flexible diet and caloric tracking system. So they come to me wanting to learn that straight up. So then I will, I guess, straight off the bat, teach both aspects in one. Um, mm. You know, I'll say, I want you to, I want you to just download my fitness pal, disregard what that app tells you to eat. I just want you to start tracking and build that habit of tracking at the same time send me the screenshots of what you're eating and let's go over the food, uh, the food quality. And then we just alter, alter that from there and then work off their goals. Sure. I actually think like, this is one of my private bugbears with nutrition. I think that, and it's not, it's not just because of efficiency macros, but it's a general thing that powerlifters seem to overlook the importance of like food quality, um, for both their like health and their lifting. And yeah, definitely. I definitely think that that introducing people to the idea of of eating with the intention of being healthy and providing yourself with sufficient fuel for training, rather than just yep. looking at things through the prism of like I got to get in a certain amount of chemicals, 
<laughs> per day to lift good is, <laughs> is really important, you know, because once you have that baseline healthy diet, it makes it easier to sustain that diet when you're cutting, it makes it easier for you to make changes where you have to. Whereas if everything's haphazard and you're living on fucking frozen pizzas and shit, then like you're really like, you're not a healthy person at all. And there's every chance that you're, there's every chance that your performance and the way you feel in the gym is actually going to be impacted by your dietary quality, at least to some degree when it's way at the extreme like that. So I really do like, yeah. I really do like that idea of starting, starting from trying to make nutrition healthy and sufficient as a baseline, you know? Yeah. The whole, your whole eight, 80% clean does hold true and flexible dieting. Hmm. I mean, and that, and that comes down to teaching someone, you know, go out and buy some fresh veggies and fruit and, and cook yourself a meal. It's, it's good to teach yourself, you know, just the amount of food and, and that skill of estimation as well, because you don't want to be tracking to the gram all the time. You don't want to be that, that, you know, that person that goes out to a, in a surplus goes out to a, a hamburger joint and, and weighs your hamburger, you know, something like that. I mean, you want to be able to, to guess the food you're eating. You want to be able to, to feel that you can cook a, cook a meal uh, without relying on, like you said, the, the frozen stuff, which isn't, I mean, it's not bad. It's just, it's just bad habits that you could create later on down the track or that you have. Absolutely. Alex had a question. Yeah, I had a question for you, Will. Yeah. How much of a factor do you think food quality actually does play in performance? Obviously, we know it has a huge impact on our health, but how, how much do you think it can impact someone's performance if someone is like eating on the really low end of micronutrients or eating on the really high end? I think at the extremes, it can make a profound difference. I don't think that most people actually occupy the extremes, so it's not really fair to say that. But like, it's certainly true that certain micronutrients have an impact on your performance and recovery. Like, If you have a diet that has fuck all, iron, zinc, magnesium, and calcium, chances are you won't perform as well. Chances are you'll tap out earlier in sessions, take longer to recover, sleep worse, and feel bad. All those things, all those things are true. Um, but if you are somebody who eats a diet that has a reasonable amount of vegetables across the day, you're eating some bread because grains in Australia are fortified with essential nutrients or nutrients that typically are not entirely replete in a bad Australian diet. If you're eating a bunch of vegetables, if you're eating a bunch of grains, there's some variety in your diet, you have some fruit occasionally going from doing that to eating a diet that's like full on Bondi hipster level healthy. It's probably not going to make a difference. If you go from eating a diet that is 24-7 shit and entirely processed foods, devoid of vegetables, no fruit, to a diet that is healthy, then I reckon it could make a reasonably profound performance. And there are other ways in which it could make a difference as well. Um, I'm, I haven't read the literature directly on this, but something that Lyle McDonald brought up was that iron deficiency iron deficiency and possibly possibly calcium, but definitely iron deficiency in women can also cause a reduction in metabolic rate. And so making body composition changes might be harder off a baseline of a diet that's not nutritionally complete. And even, even forgetting nutritional sufficiency, there's now evidence that, so this came out of Kevin Hall's lab, that when you have isocaloric, isocaloric so diets that have even, even calorie content, Diets that are more processed appear to do less for satiety and make weight loss a little bit harder than diets that are less processed. So I think if you occupy the extreme of like your diets, all very low quality foods, but you're tracking your macros, 
probably thinking of eating slightly higher food quality most of the time will give you a tangible benefit and you'll probably feel it. If you're eating a diet that's mostly pretty good and you're having treats, then obsessing over it probably won't give you anything back at all. Joey, does that, does that resonate with your experience and your thoughts? Definitely. I mean, and, like, and I think it goes back to that, that, that 80, 20 rule. If you, if you get that 80% clean, quote unquote, clean foods in, then you, then you hit everything that you just said, basically. I think you, you brought up something really important there, Will, the idea of satiety. Yeah. So obviously when we're eating whole foods, lots of fruits and vegetables, are gonna be, we're going to have greater volume of food on our plate yeah. per calorie than we would if we were eating processed foods. And especially when you're in a, in a deficit, trying to perform when you're hungry is going to be a lot harder as well. Yeah, absolutely. So like actually just feeling full and feeling satisfied going into a training session is going to make a, a big difference, I think. Yeah, and this is like the least, this is the least physiological based answer for this but i do think it's important just in the same way that like when you train with partners or a coach or you have a program and you feel like you have direction and you're doing something that you know will actually give you benefit when you go in the gym your output tends to be better and because of that belief you tend to just build momentum and train well i think people who are entirely lax in their dietary approach when they just start taking some care so like joey said they just start recording what they're eating and being mindful of like peeing clear most of the day and having some veggies and stuff just that belief that you are doing something that is going to facilitate your health and performance makes you feel better to the degree that it becomes true. And even if that's a placebo effect, I still think it's valuable. You know, I completely Definitely. agree. And I'm, I'm doing that at the moment now with vegetables. I'm trying to eat more vegetables this year. Yeah. That's going really well. And I feel great. Yeah, and you feel better. Stuff. feel great. Alex used to be sitting next to me for these always like really pale, you know, flimsy fingernails, hair falling out, falling asleep. <laughs> You know, and now he's none, still pale. None of those, none of those are true, except for falling asleep. <laughs> yeah, well, it might be because do of the content. Do you do you guys feel sh like shit when you eat a certain food? Um, I can if I have like if I have like a big macca's before bed and go and I go to bed, I'll feel shit in the morning for yeah. sure. Um, it, mm. So my question is: Is it because just stay, staying on Alex's mistake? Is it because you know that? there's this preconceived bias by so by the mainstream media that it is bad or is it because you actually feel sluggish and like crap from the no, actual I, I don't the, think the it's quality because of the food. it's quote unquote bad because usually if I would have something like that I would try and track it and at least like fit it within my calorie budget somewhat so it wouldn't be that it wouldn't be that it'd be more like ill digestion type of stuff oh okay yeah yeah, that's yeah. Fair. I Will? think in my experience like there's no one meal or one food that makes me feel bad. But definitely if I come off, it's hard to tease this apart from my lifestyle. But like if I come off a couple of days where I've eaten consistently poor quality food and I haven't gotten in like a bunch of fruits and veggies and whole grains and that stuff that I would call like the base of a good diet, then I do feel yeah. a bit sluggish. You know, my guts don't feel as happy when I eat other food. Like, And when I go to train, I do feel a bit dodgy. So like if I had a weekend where on Sunday, you know, I went to brunch and had pancakes and then lunchtime I went for burgers and then dinner I like, you know, got some leftover sausages out of the fridge or something. That might not actually be a terrible diet that's that far from my nutrient needs, but the next yeah. day I feel pretty dodgy. Whereas if I like, like you've been saying so many times, have an 80-20 diet, like eat two or three solid meals and then have a pizza <laughs> or go for burgers and chips and a thick shake or something at night, chances are I'll wake up the next day still feeling great. So I think... Yeah. 
I think one meal, no, but when it becomes a habit, I definitely do start to notice the difference. Yeah, I, I notice it more as well. Like if I go, if I'm away, like usually when I'm away, I don't do a lot of preparing of my own food or cooking of my own food. Um, when I, you know, go overseas or whatever, going to stay, and I feel like, like we all said, the days kind of add up and like go on top of each other, like stack up yeah. on top of each other. Yeah, what about you? Yeah. If it's placebo, so be it. Like you said, like run with it. I had a client, um, Brittany, who just said that she feels, I don't think she has any intolerance to certain foods, but she just feels better when she eats other foods compared to other foods. So uh, who cares? Run with it. Like, like for example, my placebo was uh, a bit of oats for, like in the morning uh, before I have a big session. And I mean, I usually can't eat a lot of carbs before I train because I just, I personally get sluggish and feel like crap. But if I have it like, seven hours away from a session, I feel great. Mm. Whatever reason, whatever it is, it was just oats though. It was oats and yogurt. So that was the main meal that I would just stick to every time I would uh, compete or, or train. So, but yeah, I, I like you, Alex, uh, a massive uh, Macca's meal or, or a big KFC meal feels so good when you're eating it. Mm. But a lot of the time, um, especially in a surplus when you're getting so much food, and that comes to another point. You, I think in a, in a surplus, these quote-unquote bad foods become probably a little bit more important for you to eat because you start to eat too much of the cleaner foods. You start to, you know, clog yourself up with a little bit too much fiber. You know, some, it's too much, too many micronutrients can cause others, others to be, you know, malabsorbed or something um, of that nature. And it's just uh, too but, much fucking know, food. And it's just too much food and too much volume. Like I had yeah. a guy, and I think you guys probably know this story. I had a guy on 1,000 grams of carbs a few years ago when I was when I was uh, doing his nutrition for bodybuilding. 250 grams of fat per day. He literally had to have like 500 grams of sugar per day because he, he couldn't he couldn't like imagine eating that much broccoli and pumpkin to hit your hit your, your carb needs with that. Like that's yeah, a lot. No. Yeah, you know. And that was um and it was five it was about 70 grams per day. Even that, like that's 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 on the higher end. So he had to get some sugar in, and we made him get blood tests and everything to make sure that he's not straight falling into diabetes. Um, but it was completely fine. He was training hard, and it was yeah, a thousand grams of carbs. Like that's a lot of food. That's so, a lot of food. So one of the symptoms. This is actually like this is how diabetes got its name. One of the symptoms of diabetes is that you like your urine starts to contain sugars, right? Um, so it's not being filtered not being filtered out by the kidneys, you pee sugar, um, literally means like sweet urine. So I, I, a while ago, right. I like, I have a, I have a separate bathroom adjoined to my room. I, a while ago walked into my bathroom and all around my toilet were just heaps and heaps of ants on the floor. I thought you were going to say skid marks. (laughs) No, man. (laughs) Yeah. All around like smeared on the walls. No. So there's, there's all these, uh, there's all these ants, there's all these ants on the floor around my toilet, and like they're crawling up the toilet bowl and stuff. And I genuinely had anxiety that like I might have diabetes because I was like, well, what if like, what if I peed and there's sugar and in my sugar. pee and the ants are trying yeah. to eat the sugar and that's what they're all there for? Anyway, checked and there was just what? an ant's nest behind my toilet. I don't know why, but <laughs> but you know, it's like when people. <laughs> You know when people eat too much beetroot and they like they think they oh, they've got bowel cancer. Dying. Yeah, uh, I do that with um, what is it? Dra- uh, what's in Bali? Dragon, Dragon fruit? fruit. Yeah, hundred percent. Man, the first time I did that, I, I I did a cucker, which is a poo in Italian. I looked down and it's I'm like 
shitting the unicorns, like unicorn poo. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Um, it was, yeah, was, anyway, way off topic, tangent, but yeah. No, well, okay. What were we talking about? We were, well, we started by talking about how, like, we started by talking about how we as coaches and possibly the athletes are going to be aware of nutrients, but then we need to actually right. start overlaying those considerations on their actual diet. And beyond just considering which foods contain which nutrients, we also need to get feedback from the clients on what foods make them feel good, which nutrient timings and stuff facilitate them. So when you're educating your clients, right, you might start with this idea of trying to create a diet that's 80-20 healthy food versus stuff that you call a treat. How do you then start layering in the next considerations? Where, like, If we've got the idea of a baseline healthy diet, we're tracking body weight, energy intake seems to be roughly stable. Where do we go next? Uh, that's when I, I guess I look at, um, I, I do it in like uh, in a levels format. So if someone is pretty disciplined on, uh, they, they, they tracked, they know what they're doing. I move on to like level two of the system, which would be like, just track your calories. You know, if they're, if they're more aware of what, you know, protein gives me more muscle basically carbs give me more energy and fat i need for hormone production if they're aware of that they can go on to the next stage of tracking your calories um you know it might give them a calorie range to hit if they're pretty aware of the protein intake that they need to be hitting i would i would give them a, a protein a protein range and a calorie range so I, I work down through the levels and get to the level i guess level five you call it which would be like really meticulous macronutrient tracking you know protein within five grams per day carbs and fat between 10 to 10 to, you know, 10 to 20 grams over the week. But even that, even when you go down to the level five, I would say that's more so for people who are in deficit. Um, people who are like bodybuilding trying to make the, trying to you know, get as lean as possible or a powerlifter who are trying to make a weight class. It might be a little bit more important, but I guess I just go through the levels of uh, precision, if that makes mm. sense. And, yeah, and totally. I'm not saying that you can't, you can't, you know, uh, someone who's just eating ad libitum, they're just doing whatever they want. They just, I can't, I'm not going to say that they're not going to get the same results or even better as someone who's being precise with their macros because they can, they can definitely add a coincidence of just what they're doing. But it is very important to be aware of what you're intaking to improve your performances and recovery. Definitely. So, so you spoke about how you can move down the levels, right? Or, you, or yeah. up the levels. You can go from no tracking, just eating healthily all the way to meticulous tracking. Um, and you spoke about how meticulous tracking might be more important in certain contexts. Is yes. it desirable necessarily to track everything or are there other considerations that might tell you how much tracking people need and how much they'll benefit from? Yeah. Uh, tracking to the, to the gram, like, like within what I said, isn't necessarily, I would say, uh, needed. You don't need that. But it, like if you're, if you're, you know, in a bodybuilding prep to get as lean as possible, I would say that is probably uh, the, the most important time for someone to be so precise with their tracking. But if you're someone who worries about the scale or worries about, you know, I dropped a bit of grain of rice off this, I'm going to put that back on and weigh that to get my number, then I don't think that's healthy. You, you need to step away from that and probably move up the levels and just, you know, not eat. I'm not going to say intuitive eating is bad, but eat more consciously. Um, you know, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat my, the plum and the, and the grapefruit that's in the fridge without weighing it. I'll just guesstimate. 
I don't think it's necessarily healthy to be so precise all the time. Maybe a couple of times a week depends. Um, but you, again, you've got to assess the athlete and the client if they're if they've got you know not an eating disorder, but you can sense there's some there's some problem there with their relationship with food. Then you wouldn't jump straight into something being precise. You you just say you know let's work together, track your calories for now, maybe hit your minimal protein, and then we'll just go from there. So I think um, one of the appeals to me of what you're talking about, which is starting with with the bare bones, just eat healthy, and then adding layers of complexity in, is that you can demonstrate to people that they're getting results without too much dietary intervention, and it gives them a sense of control and an ability to, uh, an ability to step back from tracking and know that they were still able to get places just doing the minimum. And I experienced the reverse because when I first started tracking nutrition, I tracked all my macros. I had set targets for each. I was trying to, you know, I was trying to nail all of them. And so for me, I got great results doing that. Like it obviously works. But then when I started going, well, I don't really want to track everything this precisely all the time. I want more freedom in my food selection, all that stuff. I had concerns that if I didn't track my carbohydrates meticulously, that I'd eat too much or too little or my training, my training output would decrease. Yeah. I had concerns yeah. that if I moved from a fixed energy target to an energy range, that I wouldn't see the body composition changes that I wanted. All those things, because I hadn't previously demonstrated to myself that that works. And so I think jumping straight into the deep end actually sets you up for more anxiety about making change yep. than what you do, which I think is great. Yeah, definitely. definitely. That's why I really, like, I really like the protein and calories approach to inner surplus. Um, because it gives so much freedom and obviously there's so many, there's so, there's, you know, there's body fat that your body can, you know, help to, to make some energy and there's, you know, you have enough of that minimum carb requirement that it doesn't matter if you get a little bit of extra fat in. Um, and I, I just don't, most, I think it would be great. It would be optimal for most people to be in a surplus without gaining too much body fat. That would be pretty good with maybe, you know, less dieting phases. Um, and that's when you can bring in that, that precision. Sure. Um, but yeah. So what benefits of, of taking care of your nutrition do athletes that work with you experience that seems to most surprise them? Like everyone's going to come to you and say, I want to take care of my body composition, but do they ever report to you something where they go, fuck, I had no idea that looking after my diet would give me this benefit. Yeah. Because a lot of them, they, they're like, not tracking properly. They, they, the people who come to me and they say, "Oh, I know, like I know what I eat," and then they, they track properly, and they're like, "Oh shit!" Like I didn't know I was eating that. I didn't know I was eating this. Um, oh, now you've given me these targets. Holy crap! Like, I, it's the same calories as what I was doing, but I wasn't, and now I'm losing weight and gaining muscle and getting stronger. Um, or when they come to me and they, you know, they eat a little bit more greens per day, like you said, you guys said, they just, they just simply feel better. And uh, the, 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 I guess the accountability to be, to have someone tell them, and, you know, you need to increase your greens a little bit to get your micronutrients in, maybe take a, a micronutrient, uh, a multivitamin supplement as a bit of nutritional insurance. Um, just a lot of the time it's, it's the, you know, obviously the, it's like, like the uh, meme you sent to me, you shouldn't put the horse before the, uh, the cup before the horse. That was a great, that was a great meme, by the way, Will, when you said that to me a while ago. Yeah, thanks, um, that that was good. I used that in that seminar down in Melbourne. It was it was funny, um, but yeah, a lot of people uh, they will, and that it goes back to the um, to the what we we're talking about at the start. On the other side of things, come, people come to me being too supplement 
supplement based or too nutrient timing based where they forget about the biggest the biggest side of things you know hitting your total calories hitting your total protein so it's a i guess it's a it's a both ends of the spectrum where it's both extremes that you that i like to help people fix to try and get more in the middle ground then you can go back to the top or bottom as long as the middle is being hit if that makes sense yeah 100 percent. alex what about you so you you've been saying that you're taking a lot more care of your nutrition recently have you noticed any benefits outside of the gym or training that have like surprised you? Um, not really, to be honest. Yeah, well, what about what about in your training and body composition results? Has there been anything that's jumped out to you as as having changed since you started taking more care? Uh, what time? What timeline are we thinking? Past few months. No, no, nothing in the past few months because I've gone through these sort of phases in the past where I've kind of like focused on one more thing or one extra level or brought something back or whatever. So I've kind of seen this before. Yeah. So like, I guess nothing new. So something- but I do. Yeah. I've obviously noticed trends. Yeah. Like I feel much better and this isn't nutrition related when I wake up at the same time. Yeah. When I first thing in the morning, go for a walk and get some sunlight. And when I eat more vegetables, those are the three things that make me sort of like, feel more positive and like happy and just better. And do you think that those lifestyle factors are making a material difference to your experience in the gym? Um, not in the gym, no, but outside of the gym, definitely like in terms of productivity, productivity with work, productivity with just getting more shit done during the day. Yeah. But inside the gym, no, I think it's pretty, pretty standard. It's kind of just going in tick boxes. So, something that I've experienced a lot with people that I've helped with diet is, is a profound change in their energy and their energy and satisfaction with the way they eat across the day. And a bit like, a bit like what Joey said, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who will come in and say they're eating a certain amount. They're surprised they're not losing weight. They always feel really sluggish. They must be in a deficit and their training's really bad. And if I do a proper nutritional consult with people, it takes at least an hour because I'll do a full audit of their current diet before we actually work collaboratively to make a meal plan. It's one of the reasons I don't do it that much anymore because it just, it takes a long time. But oftentimes when you, when you talk to those people, behaviors like trying to save calories so they can eat a dessert or skewing their foods very heavily to one or two meals, like can actually impact the way in which they feel. And when I get people and start saying, Hey, like let's establish some consistency in your energy intake across the day. So whatever it happens to be, like we'll bolster your breakfast a bit or we'll give you a pre-training meal. Oftentimes their energy in the gym starts to feel better. The hunger that they were really experiencing because all their food was skewed to one meal goes away. They feel more energetic and satisfied. They comply better subconsciously and the weight starts falling off. And so I think an, uh, like that's one example, but an underappreciated benefit of taking some care with your nutrition and having some planning framework is that a lot of the downsides that we experience when we do try and manipulate our diet, particularly for weight loss, but it's true for weight gain as well. A lot of the downsides that we experience can be mitigated a bit. They won't be gotten rid of entirely, but they can be mitigated quite a bit by just planning our day a little bit better and in a way that's sensible rather than letting things be haphazard. Um, and that does make, like you were saying, a really material difference to your experience, like whether it's just in gym or in life. When you start feeling more energetic, you feel more productive, you're less food fixated because you're less hungry, your training feels better, so you're less anxious. All of that stuff feeds into having a much, much better experience. 
And if you can do what Joey's been talking about this whole podcast and find a, a dietary approach that gives you those benefits without adding stress, then you're absolutely golden. You know, suddenly you're the full ticket. I think one thing that helps a lot of people is with training when they're hitting their nutrition is that like they know that there's a link between the two. Yeah. And they know that if they're uh, focusing heavily on their nutrition, that they kind of get a positive uptick in their mind about, okay, I'm doing the right things outside of the gym. I need to make sure I do the right things inside the gym. And that can kind of push them to sort of train a little bit harder or just make sure they show yeah. up for every session and stuff like that. For sure. Have you found that as well? Yeah. Absolutely. Joey, you, you're nodding your yeah, head so yeah. much right now. No, nah, just because, like you said, going back to that point of <laughs> you give someone the same amount of calories and space saves calories over, you know, three meals a day versus one, their whole their whole outlook, and as cliche as that sounds, the whole outlook of life at that point becomes so much better. You know, they, they start moving more, they start feeling better, they, they, their relationships improve just because I, it sounds... It sounds full on, but, you know, food, you know, improves mood. You know, it does. And if you're feeling better just from, uh, you know, not being so sluggish from eating one meal per day, spread over the over the day, like Alex was saying, little things like, you know, you might, you might get out in the sun and walk a little bit more or you might train a little bit better. That's going to stem back into other aspects of life. Um, 100% agree with both what you guys said. And you mentioned something there as well. When we look at nutrition from a... Um, coaching context it's all about hitting certain values and it's all about it's all sort of a numbers kind of approach and you mentioned something there that's really important as well but food is more than just energy it's more than just fuel like yeah, food, okay. food provides us happiness food is something that we do in social settings and if we yeah. restrict us so much there that all we're worrying about is energy output and macronutrients and energy input like we're, we're missing a big piece of what food can provide us from like a satisfaction standpoint. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, I can't go to this wedding on the weekend because I eat two meals a day and my meal doesn't match that time that I'm going to mm. go out to the, to the like, it's, it's, it's dumb, you yeah. know? And then you get, you start teach people about, you know, you can, if you're being, you know, precise with your calories or macros, you can eat more in one day and eat less on the other and still have the same amount of you know energy mm. intake that you're meant to be having on the other week. If you're not skewing your macros or calories, and I think that comes down to the obviously education of the athlete um, or the client in general it doesn't have to be an athlete. And obviously that goes through the stages. If you talk about powerlifters, because I guess we're, we're talking about powerlifters, the levels of the powerlifter. And uh, this is one of the questions that you said in the, before we got on this, uh, on this podcast is <clears throat> the, the levels of a powerlifter and their nutrition of that powerlifter will change over the course of their time, depending on their, their experience, you know, I get a lot of people who come in to. Oh, we can see you. I just got a phone call. Oh, oh right. Okay. Yeah. You dropped out for one second. Sorry. Sorry. I had a phone call. No, that's um, right. I get a lot of people who come to me who are like they're, they're bodybuilders or they're just, they're aware of their nutrition. And these guys can jump straight into the into the higher end of the of the levels because they just they're they're already aware of the of the benefits of food and they're they're, they're pretty easy to work with. But I think it's fun to work with someone who's completely new, uh, you know, even even a, an experienced strength athlete who's got no idea about nutrition, um, you know, they can definitely benefit in their performances by just simple tweaks of what we have spoke about this whole podcast. Eat a little bit healthier, eat a little bit more. 
fly by a little bit more greens, go for a walk a little bit more. Um, yeah, those sorts of things. So as a coach, how, how important do you think your language is when you're, when you're educating people about nutrition? Uh, the language that I use when I, when I coach my athletes, my clients. Yeah, like the words you choose yeah. to use, how you frame things. Because, I, you know, I've already mentioned how, like, I had misconceptions about nutrition and attitudes to, to tracking my food that were born out of my experience, right? But if I'd been educated by a coach, it's possible that I wouldn't have thought that same way about manipulating my energy targets or my carbs. Had the you know had a coach use words that were a bit a bit less rigid, you know. Yeah, um, I guess uh, for a beginner, you're not going to throw out words like you know, nutrient timing. I wouldn't really throw out something like that. It wouldn't be a priority to priority to them to know that they have to have. 20% of their daily carb intake one hour before they train. You know, I don't really think that's the, the, the language that you need to give them. It's just like, hey, go out and troll an error and find out the food that you feel good. Maybe when you eat a certain meal, train, and then write down on a scale out of one to ten how you felt in that session. Obviously, there's a million other variables, but just based on the mood of how you felt going to that session, how do you feel based on that food that you've eaten and what was that food and how much of it was it? Um, it really does come down to troll and error. I know there's a lot of science that says all these other different, you know, nutrient timing um, rules are, are more beneficial than others. But again, it's not applicable to every single person. So it really does come down to troll and error and, you know, food diaries or, you know, mood ratings or performances. So uh, I guess, you know, going up to an advanced lifter, <clears throat> a lifter, then you start using things like, you know, your protein takes based over three to five meals per day. This is what you should be doing to optimize anabolism and strength progression. Yeah. Um, you know, fat intake, probably try to reduce a little bit of fat intake pre-workout so it doesn't, you know, slow the absorption of the carbs that you're about to use in that session. You wouldn't use that, those type of, those terms and language for a beginner pal or maybe even intermediate. I think, um, Again, because we as coaches and people who are interested in, you know, science and evidence and stuff tend to have reasonably high level knowledge, you want to convey that to your clients. But instead of thinking about conveying like the most complicated or even necessarily the most like rigorously true thing to your client that you can, what you want to convey is the thing that's most useful. And so like, I just, I had a consultation actually on Tuesday with a guy who plays rugby professionally and all his life when he'd gone to a rugby club, when, when he had to gain weight, he'd literally just been told drink more orange juice. And honestly, and when he was seriously, and when he had to lose weight, they would tell him like, don't eat carbs except straight after training. And that's it. So he had no, like no clue. And so, you know, so, so it was just being told what to do, not really being educated of why he's doing stuff. No. And he's now in an off season period and said to me, Hey man, like I really want to have a plan that I can, I can use so that when my training changes, I can change it. And so like the analogy I gave him for carbohydrates is really imperfect. There's a lot wrong with it, but for his purposes, it was good. I said like, Hey, imagine that your body's energy stores are a petrol tank, right? And each time you go to train, it's like hitting the road. And when you're going to hit the road for a long time or burn a lot of petrol working really hard, you need to make sure there's some fuel in the tank to get some carbs in. If you've done a long, hard session and you reckon you've run the fuel down a bit, you want to make sure you get a bit more, bit more fuel in over the rest of your day before your next long drive, right? Yeah. 
Not a great analogy if you know heaps about nutrition. But for this guy, it was perfect because he went, okay, sweet. So like I do a really long run on a Monday morning and I do a weight session on a Monday evening. So you're saying I should probably have some carbs in my Monday brekkie and make sure I have some carbs in my meals between then and training. And I was like, bingo, you know, that's useful yeah, information. Did, yeah, that's right. You made it more in layman's terms for him. <laughs> I think most people can probably use that to be honest. Yeah, like it's not a bad start. But I think had I said to him some shit about glycemic indexes, like grams per kilogram, you know, he would have literally Boom, just, yeah, mind blown. Yeah, fuck that. He doesn't need to know it. So he doesn't um, need to know it yet. You know, and similarly, but on a different front, when we're talking about foods, like I really like to focus on telling people foods that are beneficial as opposed to foods that are bad. So when I say to people like you should eat more vegetables, I'll say, Hey, there's lots of really good reasons for your health and performance that you should eat more vegetables. Like, you know, list a bunch of them. They'll make you feel great. Like, whatever they're free foods or i want you to try and have half your plate veggies every time you eat whatever it happens to be but encourage them to eat that rather than trying to create a mindset that that other foods are bad and should be avoided i like to say like here are things that you should be reaching for because they're good for you and here are things that you can have provided that you're still having this stuff that's good so that we don't create fear of foods or anything as yes. well yes yeah that's a good point i was just about to say by by, by saying if you use that language of oh don't eat that that's that's you know bad then that, that's boom, an anchor to them that I should never eat that meal. I should tell everyone else who I know never to eat that meal because it's bad. Yeah. When we know mo most foods aren't bad, it's just, it just depends on the context and the moderation um, and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And good questions are kind of like, or in my experience, good questions are often, how can we make this better rather than what's bad about this? So, you know, you might look at someone's afternoon tea and say it's like a Mars bar broken over two scoops of ice cream and you go like, you're like, okay, you know, do you like these foods? I say, yes. And you go, okay, well, like, you know, based on what I've told you about your diet so far, is there any way that we can make this better? And maybe they'll say, yeah. hey, I'll have that twice a week and oats the other days, or like I'll have one scoop of ice cream, you know, and have a banana on the side or something. And you're like, okay, sweet, we're compromising. We've still kept as much of what they enjoy as we can. And we haven't created the sensation that they're like, or sorry, the sense in their head that they're taking themselves backwards by making the choices that they do. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Yeah, Alex, how do you feel about that generally? The lang the language of nutrition? Yeah. Yeah, I think when If It Fits Your Macros and Flexible Dieting first came about, it was very much like hit your numbers, nothing else matters. Meal timing doesn't yeah. matter. Vegetable intake doesn't matter. Fiber doesn't matter. And it was like that all or nothing approach, which led to like um, Ian McCarthy, like pledging Pop-Tarts on YouTube for, for multiple years, right? Yeah. And like, although his message was like, yeah, you can eat a pop tart and be okay. His message was actually really good, but no one actually listened to that because all they heard was you can eat pop tarts and lose body fat. Pop tarts. Yeah. But here's yeah, like, correct. this is the thing. And there was pop tart fitness, ice cream fitness. Like well, pop tart fitness was uh, like someone trolling him. Well, so he, he, was, was, he was, he was ice cream fitness. No, no, ice cream ice fitness, fitness was, no, Jason, was Blaha. Jason Blaha. Oh, that's yeah. right. He, you remember yeah. he's the Navy SEAL that's yeah, born yeah, in Mexico yeah, yeah. and shit. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that guy's a um, fucking sped. Can we get him on? He's an interesting guy. Um, <laughs> I don't know that we can get him on because he's currently wanted by the whole internet. That's so where did us the CIA would find him? I think that's garbage. Mate, he thinks there's lizard people. Of course, it's garbage. He's a troll. Um, no, if it fits your macros, before it became a meme, the term was coined. It was possibly by a guy um, called body. Eric the Electric on bodybuilding.com. Yeah, body and it wasn't meant to be that your whole diet should be shit, it right? Was, yeah, it was him 
he, he was being asked questions on bodybuilding.com, like, can I eat cheese? Can I eat fucking ice cream? Whatever. I think Alan Aragon was answer. the one who said you can. IFFY. No, no, it was this, it was this guy, um, Eric someone. No, it was Eric the Electric was the first oh. one who said if it fits your macros. And there were other people on bodybuilding.com of which Alan Aragon was one, where it became, right, a, right. It became a meme where people would ask a dumb question and they'd literally say like, IIFYM, link the stickies and leave it, right? But then that became the meme of instead of saying like, can I like, can I incorporate these foods in a baseline good diet? It's like literally, can I form my whole diet around these foods? And because you could prove that the concepts of energy balance work by doing it, people just started doing dumb shit. And now we're where we are, where instead of like eating a sound diet and having a snack, people are like, let's fucking try and lose weight on pop tarts and get some likes. There was a guy... There was a guy who used to compete in PA, and this was before this was before I was in PA. But I remember stumbling across his um, YouTube channel and finding his videos on YouTube. Yeah, I think his name was Simon CK. Do you remember him, Joey? Simon CK. He lifted in the eighty threes. Um, did he? This was like 2013. Keep going, because I might know. And he used to put up like daily eating videos, right? And he'd eat yes, twice a okay. day. Yep. And one, it would be like a big shake with like a scoop of blueberries and spinach, yeah. and protein powder. And then he would eat a massive bowl of, of Fruit Loops before training. And then he would have Maccas for dinner. And he would have this, that same thing yeah. like, like every day. And like yeah. he was like, oh, your IFWM, get shredded. And he competed in powerlifting. Was he yeah, strong? Yeah, I remember that guy. Not really. Oh, okay, well, there you go. And his training was stupid as well. <laughs> well, cop that, Simon. I wonder if he listens. That'd be funny. That would um, be funny. Okay, Joey. I'm pretty sure he was selling something as well, like Herbalife stuff. Great supplement, by the way. <laughs> Imagine that if you were if you were like keeping video vlogs on YouTube about your if it fits your macros pursuits and then saying, by the way, throw in this skinny tea. Like, how silly is that? Um, skinny tea, yeah. Well, Matt, that's found him. He, Alex has found him. All right. <laughs> So yeah, that's yeah, that's that's him. Do you remember yeah. that guy? All right, so yeah, <laughs> Joey, we're gonna we're gonna hit you with one last question, then we'll take a quick break and get you with the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. That final question is for people who are coaching powerlifters or strength athletes generally. If you could give them one message to just help improve their practice in coaching nutrition, maybe just one or two principles, what would they be? A coach, um, are you talking about a coach, a coach's yeah. advice? So I say, uh, I come to you and say, how can I be a better nutrition coach? What are the, what's the biggest couple of things you've learned? Um, I would say, let them, um, to be honest, throw them in the deep end. It sounds, it sounds harsh, but let them come to you with a diet based on as if you're given the macros and calories, my approach would be, you know what? Come up with a diet that suits you, what you'd like to eat. Come back with the macros that I'd be, like, hit it towards the macros and then we can tweak in the micronutrients if you need more of. I really like throwing, I know it sounds bad, but probably the way I was growing up, grew, uh, raised by dad, but get thrown in the deep end and uh, you will learn very fast. Obviously, there's accountability to me. Come up with a diet that suits you based on the numbers I've given you and then work with the nutrition coach to then make that more optimal rather than the coach saying, you've got to eat this, you've got to eat this. Um, you know, why did, and then asking questions, why did you choose to eat a meat pie at 11 o'clock at night? What made you do that? 
just ask them questions, ask them why they did things as well as help them with the numbers that they, that you've given them to hit. Does that so make sense? So give people the power to make a lot of their own decisions, yes. examine what they're already doing and the whys, and then shape your intervention to that instead of starting top down. Yeah. I really like the whys as well. Like, why did you do that? Like, why did you wait until 12 o'clock in the day to eat? Like why? And Joey, Joey, the reason why to... someone would eat a meat pie at 11 PM is because it's delicious. Uh, oh, yeah, we do. Like it's, <laughs> it's fast food. It's, it's convenient. Okay. But mind you, we've already hit out. We've already hit our broccoli and pumpkin in the daytime. So, super hot take. I reckon meat pies are kind of overrated. Um, in what way? Like they're absolutely good, right? But when I say overrated, I mean it in a strict sense. Out of ten, what would you rate a meat pie? Like a good meat pie. Okay, well, this is going to be also controversial because I don't actually ever get plain beef pies. Okay. No, nah, they're I, boring. I always get. Either curry pie, yeah, Ooh. or a potato pie, like shepherd's pie or actual <laughs> yeah, shepherd's, shepherd's pie. And a good potato pie is a nine and a half out of ten. Okay, so when I say they're overrated, I think a good potato pie is like a seven and a half. And it's not to say it's a bad food. Seven and a half is a good food, but it's just not as good as your rating. And I would say the same thing is true across the whole pie spectrum. And there's big downsides to eating a pie, right? Like. Oftentimes, the first couple of bites are literally too hot. Agreed. Because they seal but in the heat. But that's what, what you get sauce for. And that's one of the great things about potato pies. Not as hot. Yeah, okay. Sauce the potato in the definitely. Pie? Do you on put the, the nozzle you got it. on it? Sauce per one piece of sauce per bite. That's no. how you sauce a pie. Okay. More, wow. Little, little drip. Eat, little drip. Okay. More downsides is the, the texture of the pie. So, so the more actually solid the pie is, the worse the mouthfeel is, but you need a degree of, <laughs> but you need enough solidity that this pie maintains integrity. And so when you get a pie that has that really nice doughy mouthfeel, it falls apart as you start to eat it and then it becomes just a mess. That's why you have a pie tin uh, that keeps the integrity of the pie as you eat it. No, nah, man, because once you're having to eat a pie with cutlery, that's another downside. I didn't say cutlery. So what happens when like all the meat starts falling out in the pie? You eat it. You learn how to eat a fucking pie wheel. No. Okay. (laughs) Pies Um, lose out. Pies lose out on temperature, inconsistent mouthfeel and practicality. You have no idea how to eat a pie then if if it's, if it's impractical. What about apple pie? Apple pie, I reckon is like a five. Apple pie with vanilla ice cream. Exceptional. The best part of apple Uh, pie is literally just like the crust. Depends where you get your apple pie from. If you're going to McDonald's for your apple pie, you're, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. That's wrong. They're so small now. They used to be massive, not bigger anyway. And they're, they're, they're way tiny. too hot. Now that's a pie that I'll get around as being way too hot. McDonald's. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's furnace in there. Anyway, All right, well, you need to learn how to eat a pie. We'll Joey. be back for the four questions about Joey. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Weekly weights. Welcome back, Weekly Weights, episode eighty-eight. We're going to hit the four questions for Joey now. Joey, you ready? Do you know them? I am. Do I know the answers? Do, no, do you have? know the questions? The four questions about what you need to know about someone? Yeah. Someone? Do you yeah. know them? No, I don't. You don't listen to the show? Like, do I, I, I'm offended. No, I forget. Oh, okay. No, yeah, good save. He doesn't know them. All right. Bugger him then. Let's go. Hit him with question uh, one. These are hard. Said, you don't know them? No, I don't. Oh, you're screwed. Have you got like your your passport and your driver's license and stuff with you? 
<laughs> he actually looked. What is, I, I, I so, saw one. Social security number. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Okay. All right. All right. Let's go. Question one. If you could take one person out to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? Probably my nunno. My dad's dad. Nunno is dad, dad. Like as in granddad. No, nunno is granddad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what's grandma? Nunna. Nunna. So nunno. Why would you like to take nunno. him out? Because uh, he died when I was younger and I never really got a chance to, I guess, speak to him. He was in the war when he, you know, before he came over from Italy. Um, so it would be good to then have a conversation about his life and how he got to Australia because it was essentially him coming here that, I guess, made us be in Australia. Yeah. Um, so just these experiences back in the day, which will be pretty interesting to hear. Mm. What, um, what year did he come to Australia? For 1945, I think, something like that, 1940. So right, like right around the Second World War. Yeah, I think yeah. he, I think he, I think he escaped. I think I can't remember, but he was imprisoned. He was in prison um, by I can't remember who. By the uh, I can't remember who, but yeah, he was he was uh, he was in prison for a while. So he's he's seen some stuff. He he shot some things, and it would have been good to hear what he's. Oh no! Did you get another phone call? He has. You there? You got another phone call. Is that what yeah. that was? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I keep trying. Yeah, someone's persistent. Yeah, no drama. Um, yeah, so it'd be my, my normal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. Cool. Question two. Uh, question two. I'm excited for this answer because I think I know who it's going to be. But who's your favorite athlete of all time? Billy Slater. <laughs> that wasn't what I was expecting. Who were you expecting? I was Alex? expecting Andrew Johns. Really? Andrew Johns, Billy Slater. You're right. It was. It was. They're. They're, they're both my favourites. Andrew yeah. Johns, just for his, because I'm a league. He's a. He's a. It's Andrew Johns. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's. That's just Andrew Johns. Billy Slater, because he was just always so competitive and nippy on the field, and I just apparently I looked like him back in the day when I had my long curly hair. You're a. You're a Storm fan, aren't you? No, West Tigers. Oh, that's right. What a shit show yeah. that is. <laughs> Yeah. Are you happy yeah, that you didn't that... pay Latrell a million? What happened? He's the hell? he played himself, dude. He's this getting five hundred K from South, which is so good. Five hundred K for I I reckon how many of our listeners do you reckon have no idea about rugby league? Mm, oh, most. Most. Well, this has been a really gratuitous segment. Anyway, he was supposed <laughs> to get he was supposed to get eight hundred and fifty and then he declined it because he thought he would get more and then he ended up getting five hundred. So he played himself. Right. Do you follow any other sports other than league, Joey? Uh, I like a bit of tennis. So I'm watching the Aussie Open at the moment. Uh, yeah. And I, and uh, a bit of bit of the basketball, to be honest. The, my my GP, uh, the doctor, is the doctor of the Hawks down here. So he's been able to get us a few tickets Dude, the, the last season. One of the guys for the Hawks um, I used to play with, M&R. Oh, yeah, well. He, um, yeah, he, played, okay. yeah. he played North Juniors with me. He's a couple of years younger than me. Yeah, right. The Hawks are, aren't doing too good this year. <laughs> but, um, no, but yeah, so it was, it's pretty interesting. I never, I, I used to not hate basketball. I never used to like it. But then we got the tickets to go to the live game. It's pretty fun. It's pretty, yeah. like, 
good to watch. It's a fast game. That's the good thing about basketball is there's always scoring opportunities, like balls in play a lot. It's just a really good game to watch, you know? And the atmosphere yeah. in the game is awesome as well because you can everybody can be close. Yeah, you can get close enough to hear like what they're saying on the court and stuff and you can feel like you're yeah. in, in the game. Whereas like in the you, VIP you go to rugby league, you feel like you're a mile away. You can't hear what they're saying. Like, oh. All right, man. We're up to question three. Which movie yes. or television character do you most resemble? Ooh. Um, that's a hard one. I would say... Jason Stathman. Jason... <laughs> Jason What's his name? Jason Statham. Statham, whatever his name is. You know what? No, I don't know. Okay, you know what I respect about him heaps? It's really interesting. So, like, he's an action guy, right? Like, Jason Statham. You just literally think of him as some dude who, like, punches people, shoots guns, and drives cars. But if you look up, like, Jason Statham, like, GQ or whatever, or, like, men's style, he's a full fashionista, man. And I've seen, like, I've seen him in, like, midnight blue suits with a matching midnight blue turtleneck and stuff, like, just strutting around European cities looking like an absolute boss. Like, he kills he's a, he's, he's a great actor. I uh, really... He's a good actor, man, whatever role he plays. Him and Liam Neeson. Yeah, you don't look like Liam Neeson. You might look like Liam no, Neeson. I don't... I don't if, you, if you talk about looks, Adam Sandler. <laughs> 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 little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I know. I, all I got told is back in the day to look like Billy Slater. So yeah, a little bit. We'll cop that. Okay, Billy Slater, <laughs> played by Adam Sandler in the Longest Yard Rugby League edition. <laughs> all right. <laughs> final, final question, Joey. Um, your life's being made into a montage. You get to choose the music that it's set to. What do you pick? Uh, lose yourself. Eminem. Lose yourself. As uh, <laughs> as any, one of Alex's favorites. Somebody else has definitely done lose yourself. It's just dramatic. Yeah, it is dramatic. Life's dramatic. It's probably Matt Bart. Yeah, probably he Matt. Fucking Bart. loves Eminem. Matt. Matt is the biggest. I'm just gonna roast him because yeah, he probably hasn't listened to this like Matt in months. Matt is the biggest. Listen to his own episodes. I'm sure. Absolutely. Probably a hundred times as well. Um, Matt's the Matt's like the private school boy stereotype from Sydney, you know, where like you're so white, you've got perfect hair, like you grew up with mum and dad in a really nice house, just like me, and you listen to Eminem <laughs> and pretend to resent your parents. And I'm like, that's Matt to a T. Like, I've seen him training his mum. I also do that. I've seen him training his mum. She's the sweetest lady. Definitely loves his parents, but he still loves to listen to Eminem to get cheated up because he can relate to him. And I'm like, you can't relate. To it, mate. His you parents know? are great. Yeah. Anyway, cop that, Matt, with your <laughs> ridiculous title and, and new what? album, Eminem, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah it's, Feet it's, Matt Bartholomew. It's actually pretty good. Is it? <laughs> it's Kamikaze. Hey, with Alex. A e, hey. hmm? Are you gonna Are you gonna learn the Godzilla lyrics? No, too fast. Is Godzilla apparently, on that album? Apparently, it's faster than Rap God. It's too fast. They said it's faster than Rap God. That last part. You guys, that's the goal. Next time, it. next time we get, um, next time we get Matt on, we'll spring on him and we'll make him wrap it. I reckon he'll he definitely know it. it. He could do it for sure. Um, remember, wait, Joe, do you remember that time when you beatboxed at um, Team Champs? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
got that on the video on my Instagram. That was so, so good. good. That, was so that, good. That, was, that was good. You, uh, yeah. you were pretty legit at that, man. All right, dude. That's a wrap for today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been really good. For people who want to get in touch with you for powerlifting or for strength coaching, I'm sorry, or for nutrition coaching, I should say, where can they find you? Where can people look you up on the internet? Just give us it all. Um, Instagram would be just protein and chemicals. Uh, and just that's, yeah, that's a good story, that one. And then uh, my G- my uh, email is just joeysandgeena at gmail.com or the Strong 24-7 socials, which is just on Instagram, strong underscore 247 or Facebook, just strong 24-7. You just type it in and come up. And so it's my, my in-person coaching and the Strong 24-7 business. Just a quick, uh, to finish to finish us off, 30 words on why Pepsi Max is better than Coke Zero. 30 words? Oh, uh, 30 or less. Pepsi Max is anabolic. It's been proven. Uh, eating, uh, it increases performance in the gym because of the caffeine content is higher than Coke Zero. Is that true? It, yeah, it is. Look it up. I think it's 48, 48 milligrams per 600 mils and Coke Zero is like 30. Okay. Yeah. Take that Coke Zero. Uh, it's sweeter. It is a man's drink. How upset would you be if it came out that Pepsi Max actually had calories? Uh, like, wasn't there a, a company who did that? Like, didn't Monster do that to suddenly spring on calories into their, into their drink? And they uh, put monster, monster, nah, oh, well, I think I would Halo be Top really lied about the calories. Halo Top. Halo, no, Halo Top is so suck. shit. Anyone out there who likes Halo Top, you're an idiot. <laughs> I'll probably formulate my own drink to make sure that it's like Pepsi Max without the calories. So, okay, I'm going <laughs> to unveil a new energy drink that's coming to Australia. This is true, Okay. A guy that owns a couple of Anytime Fitness franchises that I know personally is a, is a bit of an interesting dude. And he's also got a few other, he calls them side hustles. He's got a few side hustles. He, he really fancies himself a businessman, including he's got like 10 or 12 vending machines that he owns, but he also like runs some studio cycle classes and things. And the other day he told my mate that he's going to come out with a new energy drink and that it's like, it's in the design phase. They're trying to get samples done for it. Now I think he might've registered the name, but I'm not certain people can check. Get, if you can guess the name of the energy drink in three guesses, then I'll give you a hundred dollars, Joe, just three random guesses. Do we get a hint? Do you know? I know the name of it. The first word is energy. It's a two word name. So it's energy something. Uh, energy max. No. Is it just energy drink? No. One more <laughs> guess. One more guess. No, he got one. That's Okay, yeah. Change. Two more for you. Two more for you. Go quickly because it's so funny. Uh, energy. Energy. Bang. <laughs> energy. Energy jacked. No. It, it's called energy slut. Dead oh, wow. serious. I was going to jokingly say energy cunt. Yeah. Energy <laughs> s- that's, that's, that's actually worse. Yeah. Energy slut. And he's going to stock it out of his vending machines initially. But his rationale apparently was that 
He reckons all the girls will drop vodka and energy slots before they go out because they want to say that they're an energy slot or they're a slot for energy. And I was like, mate, that is the dumbest idea (laughs) I have ever heard. But if... (laughs) If in five ten years energy slots top of the market, that's why. Uh, wow. Well, yeah. Uh, I, how's it even going to be approved and passed? Is the name? Well, cocaine needs to be cocaine will be approved, and uh, yeah, cocaine's worse than hemp. Yeah, remember I cocaine reckon, the drink? No, I don't. Honestly, there's a drink called cocaine. Yeah, right. It was in a it was in a red red can. Does it have cocaine in it? Isn't that how Coca-Cola got its name initially? Apparently, that's how Coca-Cola got their name. Yeah, I heard that yeah. too. I reckon it'll be Energy SL, like um, asterisk or something, T. But that's apparently the working title of his energy drink. So, there we go, guys. Look well, for that. Energy slot, no energy sugar. Slot. Yeah. Come on. You might be put, sponsored by at least them. put sugar in the slot. You know what? If, if they wanted to sponsor me, I'd cop it. <laughs> well, excuse yeah. a pun. All right, <laughs> that's been weekly words of the week. I'm ashamed of parts of that content, like the bits where we spoke about poo and energy slot, but I'm also proud of the rest of it. I thought that was a pretty good episode. I enjoyed it. <laughs> so I'm Will Berkman on Instagram. I'm at w.berkmanpt. I'm Alex Hayes, Alex Hayes underscore process. We'll chat to you guys next week. Peace out.